Hello and welcome to or welcome back to a runner's life podcast. I'm the host Marcus Brown. I've gone from a 455 marathon down to running a sub three hour marathon. The idea of this podcast is to explore what a runner's life is by speaking to runners and experts to learn from their experiences and to expand on our own boundaries of what a runner's life could represent. If you want to get updates on the podcast or want to see what I'm up to, follow me on Instagram at a runner's life underscore podcast and at the marathon Marcus, all one word. If you find value in the show, please subscribe and share it with your community and leave a rating on your podcast platform that you use as it helps the podcast grow. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash a runner's life. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's head to the conversation. Hi, Troy. Welcome to a runner's life podcast. How are you? I'm doing well, Marcus. Thank you for having me. It's, it's good chatting with you again. And likewise, I was on your podcast in episode 26, so I'm really happy about that. Yeah, I, it, was, it, was a, it was funny because I was sitting on that episode for, I think, like four different episodes, so like two weeks, because we realized, like, of course you have to have the Marathon Marcus on episode 26. So I think we recorded you at something like 23 or 24 and then had, to, okay, wait a second. So we sat on it until we could get you on at 26. Well, no, yeah. I appreciate you doing that. So in 25, this didn't sit right with me, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, it was funny because at the time, too, I was recording three episodes a week, which got to be way too much. And so we've backed down to one or two a week where I think we're going to ultimately settle on one. That way we can sort of give give it some time to breathe and all that stuff, like a fine wine. Some of these conversations do take a little time to really uh, seek into the public public consciousness. So. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, although I've been your podcast, I, this podcast is called a runner's life podcast. What does a runner's life mean to you? Oh goodness, you know it's funny. I used to, um, I grew up in a neighborhood in Arizona where you could, like, you never really needed any kind of transportation. Like, you didn't need a car per se as a kid. Like you didn't need rides to school and to friends' houses and things like that. It was a very different lifestyle than it is these days. And so I just remember running to school, running home from school, running to football practice, running, you know, home. And, and like, it just felt like I was always running somewhere. And uh, so to me, it's just like running is the thing that it just doesn't matter what is going on in my life. Running is the thing that can get me out of a funk. It can get me into a great idea. It can, you know, help me solve problems that otherwise are completely unsolvable. Um, so for me, it's like, I'm not a great runner by any stretch. You know, I'm not going to be standing on too many podiums in my life, but uh, running has just always been a really, really important part of my uh, mental and physical health for sure. It seems it started off as kind of like, just a natural thing to do yeah to kind of get from places like i like the fact you sort of talk about it's the, the link to the physical and the mental health especially now i think so many people can relate especially with you know reduction of races or cancellation of races or virtual races yeah uh, for the mental side it's so important well it's funny you know the like i've been in races before you know where and we all go through this in a you know like a sprint finish, for instance, you know, we're 
you know, like every triathlon I've ever done, you know, you're dying inside. You just want to quit. And then all it takes is one person to pass you or you to be within a hundred feet of somebody. And you find this internal strength and reserve of energy that you can just dig deep and find and try to out sprint someone. And like nowhere else in our kind of adult life, I guess, do you have that unspoken um, agreement with someone else that, all right, we're going to, we're going to turn each other inside out and it's, and and it's all good. You know, like there's no animosity or anything else. Here's a total stranger who's in a race and you're running up, you know, shoulder to shoulder and you're like, it's on. And you can even say that to like, let's go, you know? Um, and you, you know, the sprint finish to the end and like, that's what training is great. You know, exercise is fantastic, but racing is truly like where the magic happens and having, having taken that away from all of us, it's really, really difficult. And I miss it, um, a lot, but, um, but, but running isn't obviously just racing, but it it does just racing does bring a, just a completely different element to the, to the, to the activity, I guess. It kind of go, seems to go back to something inside of you because I know growing up you played football mm-hmm. and you wrestled quite a bit. Yeah. I guess wrestling is probably more of a solo thing. You can almost relate it to running to a certain extent. I mean, still need coaches and training partners and whatnot, but that's probably I can sort of half link it to that. Yeah. So, I mean, how does that kind of tie into your running journey? Well, I think, um, you know, it's funny because like I, I played a ton of sports growing up and I love to compete, but I'm not overly competitive, meaning like I don't I don't mind losing. I don't get, you know, I, like I, I know a lot of kids, you know, they'll like cry if they lose or whatever. They just have this like they just hate losing so much. And I just always loved to compete. I loved just measuring up and seeing how I measured up against other people. And so for me, you know, I mean, football and running, obviously it was a lot of sprinting and just, you know, I played running back and defensive back. So it was all about speed and wrestling was more about as much about losing weight as it was just building deep fitness, you know, the uh, wrestling six minutes is as hard as anything else I've ever done. Um, and so, you know, running was just always, a. um, you know, I'm not a big guy, so I, I, I needed speed, certainly on the football field. So it was just always like a, I don't know, I, I, I was the guy who always like stayed after practice and ran extra stadiums or ran extra sprints. I just loved the activity. I wasn't trying to prove anything to myself or my coaches or anything. It was just, I just loved the activity of running. So I think that is just always, um, it's always been bundled together for me. And then when I started getting into, you know, like that, that sort of, um, post high school pre adulthood where you lose a lot of that, like you don't, you know, you, you sort of lost all your activities. You don't have practice to go to anymore. And I, you know, I, I went a different route. I went into the music route and, you know, got into some bad habits and things like that, gained some weight and all that. And then once I refound it, it was, I just, I've, I never, uh, I didn't realize how much I missed that, that activity that like just butting heads with somebody else or, you know, outdoing somebody or just testing yourself for that matter. 
So when I refound running and triathlon and all that stuff in my late 20s, it was just, man, it was just awesome. It was like, it was like running into a long lost friend or lover or something. It was just, it was just fantastic. When you sort of spoke about testing yourself, is that also was linked to working towards what your potential is? Is that something that interests you? Yeah, uh, you and I talked a lot about when you were on uh, the Athlinks podcast about the the idea of of really. Um, I think you are a much more methodical person, from what it sounds like to me, in terms of like reaching your potential. Um, well, hiring a coach, for instance, is like a, the first step to that. Really being a little bit more methodical about that type of thing. Yeah, I. Uh, um, I think I'm um, I'm entering that age now, like I'm turning 50 this year and and I think I'm turning more toward that in terms of like when you're a little bit younger, I think you can just, you know, sort of point yourself in a direction and just hammer that way. And when you get a little bit older, you start to realize you need to be a lot more thoughtful about, you know, whether it's injury and recovery or just just finding your your full potential. Um so I would say more and more I've gotten into that type of thing. And, and again, like I've always loved the training. So it was never like this, you know, um, science experiment or, or even um, like a sociological experiment with myself to try to figure out what my own potential was. It was just, I just loved doing it. I loved, you know, kind of towing a start line and, and mixing it up with a bunch of other people to try to cross the finish line, you know, as close to the front as possible. It's always like funny when you're racing other people because they've all got stories where, you know, either we came out <laughs> second or third or we came out first. Are, are there any kind of any memorable kind of experiences that you've had oh, run, whilst running? You know, it was funny. My, my first splash and dash when I was starting on my road to, um, to triathlons, splash and dash just being a, a run swim event and talk about those sprint finishes. You know, I was, um, I was dying in the water. I mean, just feeling awful. And then I get out of the water and it was like maybe like a 3K run. It was pretty short. And I hadn't been racing. So I didn't really know how to like properly pace myself. So I had way too much in the tank toward the end. And so uh, like the last hundred meters, I just absolutely turned myself inside out trying to trying to catch and then pass this other guy. And then as I'm passing him at the finish line, I looked down and I realized he, he has a prosthetic leg. And it was like, I just had all these thoughts going through my mind of like, he was in great shape. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't like, I, I had the, all these mixed emotions about like, should I have passed this guy? Or I think if I'm him, I'm like, well, I don't want you easing up on me, you know, just cause I have a prosthetic leg <laughs> cause he was smashing yeah. me otherwise. And so yeah, you know, I think I think a lot of I've got a thousand of those types of stories and just doing dumb things, especially starting out in triathlon or cyclocross. I love trying new new sports within the sport too. So, I mean, you know, trying to hang with people that I have no business hanging with and then just absolutely, you know, the wheels fall off and, you know, you got smoke coming out of your ears and you're, you know, in the middle of a lake somewhere like doing the backstroke because you've just completely vapor locked and can't can't seem to <laughs> clear the lactic acid out of your arms anymore. Yeah. It's definitely humbling because I think so many people can relate to it. And I've had experiences before where you drop someone or someone's just dropped you. And you just have to see them just going off into the distance. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was in a race uh, about a year and a half ago. It was at my kid's school. And, you know, we all have the tendency to, you know, it was a small race. It was probably like 100 people. It was a high school charity fundraiser. And I'm looking around and we're all sizing each other up. And I'm like, okay, I think I got a pretty good shot. And this guy who outweighs me by a good 60 pounds, like I never would have ever, this is the last guy I would have picked to finish ahead of me. (laughs) And he just dusted me. I tried, I stayed with him for about a mile and a half. And then I was just, I just had to like eat my pride. Like I can't hang with this guy. He was fast. So yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's good. And that's one thing that like in triathlon, especially when you, you know, because of the swim bike run nature of it is you get the, like, you know, that like you get people built a certain way who are really good at swimming or really good. I mean, I've seen like big dudes just like just hammering their bike, you know, and they're just like, there's no way you can keep up with them. And then you get to pass them on the run or whatever. But I love that about triathlon in that it's not just like cycling or long distance running where, you know, it's like power to weight ratio is everything, you know, and you're just doing one thing over and over and over again, as much as I love running. Um, but that's the, that's kind of the cool part of triathlon is that you do pass people and you do get dusted and then you do get to sort of, all right, I can, I can catch that guy on the bike that, you know, I got, I need to stay with that guy cause there's no way I'm going to catch him on the run or whatever. So, uh, it's fun that way. I think that's the great thing about sport. It just keeps you humble. Oh yeah. I mean, think about, you know, I mean, every race there's, there's, there are two winners There's a male and a female and that's it. Like the rest of us are losers, you know, if you want to look at it that way. And I just, yeah, I just, like, I've never thought about, like, okay, I have to run the perfect race. I love experimenting in races. I love trying to, you know, I'm going to hammer up this mountain or I'm going to hammer down the mountain and see how it goes. Or I'm going to try to, you know, hang with this really fast swimmer and see if I can, you know, catch his feet and just, you know, ride his wake. And and if I blow up and screw up, it's like, okay, like, it's still great being out there, you know. I don't, I've never had a race, even when I've, um even in a miserable day where I've wanted to stop, it's still better than not racing, you know? Yeah. I just want to pivot slightly. When we spoke on your podcast, you were asking me some quick fire questions. And one that sort of stuck out in my head, even now I'm still thinking about it, is the one when you asked, what is the secret? Uh, I said to you, I think, don't think there is a secret. I loved your answer. And what would your answer be if I asked you that question? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, for me, honestly, it's funny because I don't have a coach, but my my secret, the secret that I would give other people is be coachable. Um, and whether you have a coach or not is sort of irrelevant. But it, what I mean is like all of our poop stinks, you know, and like be humble, be coachable, understand that you don't know it all. Uh, we have a tendency when we think we know it all, we stop listening. Um, and just so like, keep your mind open and keep yourself open to coaching from other people. I learned a lot from you in our conversation, you know, that I, that I frankly carried through in, in the last couple of long runs. I've met so many great people on this podcast that have given me so much to think about. And yeah, so I would, I would say, uh, be coachable. Has there been an example in your life where you've learned that lesson yourself the hard way. Mm, Yeah. Or you weren't coachable. You thought I'll do it myself. Yeah. I think, I mean, certainly in business and being an entrepreneur and, you know, having, you know, started Athlinks and and just done, you know, I've, I've started several businesses and and things and, and like, 
you know, when you're, when you're 19, 20 and you're making some money and like, you just think, you know, it all, you're just such an arrogant, I was, you know, just, just so arrogant. And, um, you know, you're, uh, you're just so full of yourself. And again, it's like, once you think, you know, it all, you stop listening. And I had a lot of really good, smart people in my family, you know, aunts and uncles and, and my father and mother and people telling me sort of how the world worked. And I just felt like I just had it all figured out. And I missed some really easy things and, you know, made some big mistakes and had some big failures and things like that. So, yeah, I would say definitely I've, I've definitely had some moments where I was uncoachable for sure. And I don't think that's just down to you as well, but I think other people can relate because I think when you're young, it's almost like the tendency to want to know what the right answer is and to be right. And you feel that being smart is being certain. But as you get older, you realize actually that actually puts you in a position of weakness. That's a hundred percent true. That's a great point. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, one thing that I would, um, like one, one business skill that I've gotten very good at is, is, uh, is knowing my weaknesses and hiring for them. So like I've, I have surrounded myself with really, really great, um, like our support team at Athlinks is top notch, um, run by, um, Carrie Hall, just phenomenal. And she does all the things well that I do terribly. Um, Shauna Organischek on our staff, like a phenomenal project manager, just keeps everything so straight and, and so I think, yeah, to your point, like it's, it's easy to fall prey to that. And, and I, you nailed it like to a T that, um, you think it's like intelligence or whatever, or, or aptitude or, or, um, um, skill, whatever, whatever the word you use there was like knowing all the right answers and the, the reality is it's, it's in a lot of ways. I mean, it's great to have the right answer if you have it. But in a lot of ways, it's, it is being humble and being able to take a step back and say, and, you know, like, well, what do you think? Or learning from somebody else and, and being open to new ideas and things. So, yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's the thing as being an adult as well. It's something I still try and force myself to do as well, is that you hear an answer and you're automatically thinking, I've got to clap back or something. <laughs> We're just like, no, just stop. Just, I might actually learn something. Yeah. from this person or whatever but just get myself out of the way yeah and uh, it's not always easy to do as adults can we automatically go to okay i'm gonna respond back to whatever well it's funny you mentioned that i i picked up my daughter and her friend from school the other day and then we go to the gym afterward and they and we work out and i was noticing when they were talking to each other it's exactly what you just said it's one of them would say whatever i i went swimming and then the other would say, one time when I was swimming, I did this. And then the other would say, well, I, you know, whatever. And it was always this like riff off of what the other person said. And so when we were on our way home that night, it was just my daughter and I. And I said, hey, you know, here's what I noticed when you guys were talking. I said, one, as an exercise, train yourself to ask a question off of what that person just said, rather than jumping in with your own point. But just ask a clarifying question. Let, let the conversation happen. But I said, you guys aren't having a conversation. You're just both like randomly spouting these facts about a topic that happens to be like in the middle of this thing that you're calling a conversation. That is really interesting because when you step back, like you say, and analyze conversations, a lot of conversations are like that, aren't they? There's kind of 
not really kind of listening to each other, just kind of upping, upping, upping. That's exactly what it was. And it was fun. And that's definitely something that I have learned since doing the podcast was really how, how to listen and how to be thoughtful and not, I think you mentioned um, in our conversation before where you were sort of like, you were so focused on the questions you were asking or what the next question was going to be. You were like, not, you weren't even sometimes listening in, in, you know, like maybe with one ear to some of the the responses that you were getting. And, and, and look, I'm far, far from, from uh, getting this thing right, but I'm, I'm definitely trying to be a much better listener uh, as part of this process for sure. Yeah. We made a joke about that, didn't we? I mean, yeah. you could be saying something and they could drop something really interesting. Like, you know, I'm an ax murderer. You go, okay, so tell me yeah. about your favorite race then. <laughs> just completely missed that, that bit there. So Yeah, it's it's always funny when I do post-production on these podcasts and then I realize like, oh my God, like I just completely either stepped on what they were saying or yeah, to your point, like you just miss it, like this great nugget that they, they throw you a meatball and you just like let it sail right by you. Yeah, I completely miss it. That's the same for me. You're in post-production. You're thinking, oh, that's such a great way to go yeah. there. And it's like, oh. Yeah. But it's just one of those things, really. Yeah. We just try the best that we can. And I think that's such a great lesson that you spoke about there, which you've gone down. And and as you've mentioned before, you're approaching 50. Mm-hmm. Are there any other kind of life lessons or things that you're reflecting on at this stage of your life? Oh, um, I don't know if life lesson... Um, you know, I mean, my kids are getting to an age now, they're 17 and 14. So we're starting to watch them become, you know, young men and women and making sure that they are as prepared for the world as the world is prepared for them. You know, we're trying to make sure that they're good people and, um, you know, coming through this, this cycle that we've just come through in America with the election and, you know, making sure that they're, you know, they're, they're certainly welcome to their own opinions, but making sure that they're thinking critically about, you know, kind of what they're thinking about and the opinions that they're forming rather than just, you know, whatever, watching, watching this side or that side. Um, and then for, you know, for me and, and, you know, my wife and I, as we start thinking ahead for the next few years in terms of like, what's, what's life going to be like after the kids and thinking about how, you know, the life that we want to live and, and, uh, you know, um, like the big house versus the big adventures kind of thing. And we're starting to get into that big adventure type of mindset and thinking about things like van life and all that. Um, as you said, I'm turning 50 this year. So I've got this 50 chasing 50 idea in my head where I'm, I'm heading toward a 50 mile race. Um, I'm going to be doing silver rush up in Leadville, uh, in whatever month that is in the summer here in Colorado. So yeah, I mean, just, I think it's, um, it it doesn't feel so much like uh you know midlife anymore like the 50 is the new 30 or 40 or whatever the the sayings are these days but uh we're still in the mindset of like you know making sure our kids don't turn out to be axe murderers and uh, end up on a podcast with a confession <laughs> <laughs> i so much said that i want to i want to dive into yeah. i'm just trying to think which way which way to go down my brain is completely firing off uh-huh. and it's interesting when you talk about the kids growing up and going to that new stage of life because i'm at the other end with my kids are being quite young. So yeah. it almost feels sometimes a little bit overwhelming because there's so much happening. But then you feel guilty because you don't want to wish away time. And then yeah. you want to get to that point of, like you say, when they're about to leave and want to do their own thing, yeah. what do you do next? It's kind of you've spent so much time in that aspect. It must be quite hard to kind of make that transition. It's difficult. I mean, in retrospect, I think it, you know, it's so cliched, but it's so true in that it's, it's 
it's quality over quantity. I mean, you can only spend so much time together, you know, I mean, and, and it, as long as I think you can get that really good quality time with your kids, I mean, you know, having looked back again, 17 years of my son's life, I remember every single second of every single vacation that we've taken. I don't remember a whole lot else in between, to be honest, you know, it's like you get, you get, um, you know, wrapped up in the day-to-day -day life of running a business and, and doing everything else. And, and, um, and it's tough and it's, and it's unfair to ask everybody else to sort of fit in with those parts of your schedule. And so it's so important to make, make time for that really good quality time so that you, you do have those things that you can reflect back on. And, um, you know, my son, it's awesome. Now he's at an age where we can run together and he's, he's smoking me like he's killing me. I, I can't keep up with him, but we, you know, every once in a while we can enjoy a little run together and things like that. And I'm definitely looking forward to a time where he, uh, you know, like he's looking at some, doing some triathlons and doing some different things where maybe we can, you know, I don't care if I run with him, but to be able to run in the same race with, with him would be fantastic. So. And what's your sort of thoughts when you're racing your kids? Do you, when they're younger or whatever, when they get older, do you let them win or do you just make them earn the win? I always make them earn it. Yeah. I never <laughs> let them win anything. I, games or, you know, we play the game of clue all the time and they 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 like think I'm some magician because I, I can think strategically about trapping them into answers and stuff. And, you know, I won't tell them my secrets and I won't let them win. Like, you know, that's the, and again, that's part of, you know, frankly, like if I was playing with your kids, I would let them win probably, you know, Yeah. but it's my kids and I'm responsible for making sure that, you know, they're ready for life and life is ready for them. It's funny how we do that with our own kids and our own family. Cause I did something yeah. similar with my nephew. He wanted to race me. I think like a, a short dash and I literally ran like I was being chased by a bear. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, he, he just looked at me at the end. He's like, what are you doing? I mean, <laughs> you still let me win. I was like, well, it's just going to happen in the real world. You know what I mean? Hey, You've got to deal with it now. Yeah. You know, I don't want you growing up thinking you're fast when you're not, you know, come on. Exactly. <laughs> it's not, if it's not me, it's someone else. So. Exactly. It's funny how we, yeah, we have sort of similar sort of ones. But I think other people have done the same sort of things as well. I think you've got to kind of, Make them earn it, I think. Yeah, I mean, there, you know, there, there are times, there, you, there are certainly more than enough times to be tender and, and caring and, and soft to your kids. And sometimes, you know, to, you know, to just tell them that, you know, life bites, man. And, uh, yeah. you know, you, you, you need to, um, again, it's sort of like that, you know, be coachable type of thing is like you have to understand that what life is all about and, and that you don't have it all figured out. You know, my job as their father and, and parent is to to make sure that when they do get bit, you know, they always say like the worst time to get hit in the face for the first time is in a fight, you know? Yeah. And so you want to go through those things when they don't matter. You don't want to you don't want to be in your first fight having never been punched in the face. Yeah, because an absolute shock, you just like <laughs> what do you do next? Type you, will, thing. you will probably not win that fight. <laughs> Yeah, I think there'll be a lot of, like, there'll be this massive pause and delay while the shock yeah. is setting in. Like, oh. And then the second or third punch is in, so <laughs> it's kind of over. So yeah, yeah. I completely agree. I think it's almost the same for running as well, because, like, sometimes when I'm running and I'm going through a difficult moment, say it's weather or whatever, I'm just like, good, because it's like, at least I'm experiencing it now. Yeah. So when it comes to race day, I, I can, you know, draw from this experience. Whereas, 
when I first started running, it was just like exactly the same, like <laughs> like getting punched in the face. Like, how dare you punch yeah. me in the face? That should, yeah. should happen. Yeah. That's why they call it practice, right? Yeah, I mean, you want yeah. to go through those things. You want to, you know, and, and I will do some of those types of things in practice where, you know, like on a mountain run where you just bomb up a mountain to see, well, how how, how quickly can I recover? What does it feel like to, re- can I recover? Maybe I can't recover. You know, those types of things. And, and you run those experiments in your brain and, and try to figure out kind of where you stand with things so that the first time you run up against a situation like that in a race, um, you know, like the uh, doing bricks is a huge thing in triathlon where you run off the bike every time. So I got advice early on from a guy, uh, Dave Benjis, who was like, don't ever ride your bike without running afterward. Even if you're just going to run like a quarter mile, just run because the feeling of, that your bike, that your bike legs have versus your run legs is so different. And the, the perception of speed, you're used to things passing you at 20 miles an hour. And then when you run, it feels like you're running super slow, but you may be, you may be running beyond your pace and you're going to blow your legs out. Um, and so you have, you practice that over and over and over and over again, that to, you know, how long does it take for the blood to get, you know, normalized in my legs? How long does it take for me to normalize my brain where the speed looks right when I'm running all of those things? And you, you know, you have to do those things in practice or, or the race is just going to be a miserable experience. You're never going to yeah. hit your true potential as, as you said. And I think that's something not everyone's searching for because everyone's different, but interesting to sort of hear you speaking a little bit about potential because it's, I'm not sure there's ever a point where you ever fully reach it. I mean, I guess it's more in the journey. I guess that's the more exciting part. Well, like you, you know, you go 256 or 254 at Dorney Lake and like something tells me you look at that going, I've got like a 240 in me somewhere, you know? And like, I, I, I look at my results and think I'm way faster than that. <laughs> I always think I have way more potential than I've ever tapped into. I have never even come close to feeling like, yep, that was, I just peaked, you know? Yeah. Never. I, I always feel like I'm, you know, and I'm not like, a, oh, I, you know, I tripped over a rock or I stayed, you know, was that gum on the bottom of my shoe kind of like making excuses. But I just mean like I, I've never even come close to even even remotely matching what I think my potential could be if I just decided, um, you know, like I'm going to really go after this thing. I think it's the fun in going for it as well. Also quite painful at times, but yeah, yeah I think that, that's, the, that's the amazing thing really. Well, I think that's what excites me as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm in the middle of this journey of this, you know, training to go 50 miles. And so my long runs like this, this weekend will be 25 or 26 miles. I haven't mapped out the course yet, but I'm running at a conversation pace. I'm not pushing yet. Like I'm not, I'm going to probably in about a month, I'm going to start doing some time trials in the 18 to 20 mile range just to sort of get my legs under me. But I haven't yet done that, you know, 20 mile time trial where you're turning yourself you know, or you're right on the edge of turning yourself inside out for, for several hours yet. Um, and I'm, you know, there's a little anxiety in the back of my head about that. Cause right now it's, it hurts just to, just to run that distance. Right. I mean, my, my feet aren't ready, aren't used to the pounding. I'm running it on very jagged terrain. It's like a, you know, like a mountain run here in Colorado, <clears throat> but, um, but yeah, I mean, talking about potential, like I'm not even, I'm not even remotely scratching yet 
but I am, I'm, I'm hitting my potential in terms of distance, but not speed or performance yet. That, that comes here shortly. So yeah, it's, you know, but it's like, it's awesome. You know, it feels so good. It, it, this past weekend, I, um, I hit the 20 mile mark and I've noticed like each of my runs, I'd be curious to see if you went through this. So I'm basically at a distance now where every long run I do each week, I'm adding 10% and it is the longest I've ever run before. I've never done a marathon. And each week I can run the previous week's distance fine. And then everything above it is misery. So like I went 16 and then the next week I did 16 and it felt great, but then getting to 18 was horrible. And then I did 18 easy and then the next two. So this past weekend I hit 20 miles or yeah, I hit 20 miles, which was my previous uh, week's best felt great. I stupidly took a phone call from my wife because she was just wondering when I was going to be done. I stopped running. I ended up having to walk the last three miles. Like I could not get my legs moving again. You know, my hip flexors were just done. My feet were killing me. My ankles were dying. But it was like I did, I, on that walk, I had that realization that, wait a second, like each week I'm hitting the previous week just fine where I was in yeah. misery before. So it's, it's like it's, you know, I'm building that a little bit of strength and a little bit of endurance each week, which is, which is super exciting to me. Listening to journey you're on now in terms of challenge that you set and also thinking wider, sometimes people, it's quite easy to live a comfortable life you know, you, you can sit your office, you know, you can sit on the couch, you can do whatever, watch some television, watch some Netflix. Why do you think there's this desire, primal desire almost for people to go outside and I'm not say put themselves in un- discomfort because that's not the right word, but just to test themselves. Yeah. What do you sort of think that comes from generally in for yourself? Uh, you know, I think if you like going back to the guy on the couch, like why do people watch horror movies or you know, Kramer versus Kramer, like the notebook or movies that are going to make you cry. You know, we, we, we live really, when you come right down to it, very sedentary, um, non-emotional lives. Like life is really easy. Think about just, just two generations ago, people were having 10 children because five would die, you know, two, three generations ago. Um, that just doesn't really happen in the industrialized world anymore. Right. And so, and not to say that that was ever a good thing, obviously, but like, you know, I mean, we, we don't really have to, I mean, like I look at, you know, going back to our kids and, and as your kids get a little bit older, Oh my God, my kids are so dramatic and all their friends are so dramatic over the dumbest things, you know, and you just want to like smack them. Like, what are you talking about? You know, like they, We've, we've gotten to this point where we literally have to manufacture drama in our lives because there's so little of it in the real world. Now, you know, with COVID and everything else happening, there's plenty of it these days. But um, yeah, I don't, I mean, yeah, you could argue there's the whole like hunter-gatherer thing and we just have this innate, um, this innate need to chase things down or to challenge ourselves or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, catharsis doesn't, doesn't normally happen on your couch. You know, you have to sort of go looking for it. And once you've experienced it, once you've had that moment of like, oh my God, like Danny Bent, you know, who I was talking, you know, I introduced you, he was, he's going to be on the episode this Saturday. 
they did a north to south run across Iceland in nine days. And one of the guys that he brought with him was a recent smoker, drinker, overweight, and he finished. And like the, he just couldn't, on the last day, he couldn't stop saying like, I just ran across Iceland. Like that guy's never going back to a normal life ever. He can't because once you feel that catharsis, once you, once you have that light bulb moment, you know, that, um, that you feel what it's like to actually live a little bit. Like there's no way you just, I'm not saying the guy's never going to watch television on a Saturday night again, but I think in general, like just the, the mundanity, mundanity of life, I think is, uh, I think he has put that out like a cigarette butt. I think that's such a great point because that was the same experience I had when I completed the six stars in Boston, the terrible weather. I mean, I got injured halfway and I got a then PR and then you come through and you think, wow, like you can't go back to the person you were before because you just realize actually how much is in you and how much you've just not really explored. So that, I mean, there's so many light bulb moments in life, but yeah. for you, have you had any significant life? I mean, have you had any light bulb moments? I mean, it doesn't have to be running across Iceland. It could be anything. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, the easy answer is like, I have them every day, you know, just the, um, whether you're trying something. So here's, here's a good one that I, I think illustrates the, what I get out of endurance sports. It, it's not a running story. It's cyclocross, but we move up to Colorado. The only biking I had ever done to that point, other than riding bikes as kids, but like competitively was time trial bikes. It was all triathlon. So my big bike handling skills consisted of like looping right and left hand turns to, you know, like turn the corner kind of thing. So we move up to Colorado and I start getting into cyclocross. First day out at practice or, you know, this, this group ride that we all had, I, I kid you not, I wiped out at least 50 times. Um, every single hairpin turn, my tires were overinflated. I had no idea how to like really, you know, leverage my weight on the bike, where to keep my feet, all of these things. And I was just wiping out left and right. And it was just misery, you know, like my knee, I mean, and, you know, I'm at the time I'm like 45 years old. My, both of my knees are skinned up. My elbows are skinned up. I looked like an eight year old, you know, I looked ridiculous. And my wife even was like, what in the hell are you doing? And so I go into my first race. Um, my wife comes out to watch me. I finish dead last. They actually pull me off course because I can't complete the last lap in, in the allotted time. And like every little hairpin turn, like I wipe out and I look up and my wife is literally like her arms are outstretched looking at me like, what in the hell are you doing? Like she thought I was like goofing around. I was wrecking so often. Yeah. But then like four races later, you know, probably six weeks later, I finished middle of the pack in the last race of the season. I didn't wipe, wipe out one time. Um, it wasn't a great finish, but again, it was like middle of the pack. It was like 50 out of a hundred riders or something. And man, I was like, I was over the moon. I it, like, I felt like I just won the Olympics. I was so happy with the progress that I had made. I didn't stop. I didn't give up. You know, I mean, there were like rainy, you know, 40 degree mornings that I was out riding in 40 Fahrenheit, you know, I mean, it was like just miserable, miserable days, these snow rides, but I just, you know, like my aha or, or catharsis was like, yeah, you know, talk about reaching your potential. 
I didn't reach my potential, but I certainly took big steps on the journey toward it, you know? And so, yeah, I think, I think, you know, just any of those types of things. And I'm going through that again right now where, you know, the first day I ran, I, you know, 16 miles. And then, you know, here I am a month later, I'm at 22, 23. And, and I know I'll get to 50. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, what does it mean? It doesn't mean anything, you know, really. It just, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge that I put out in front of myself. And, and uh, it's up to me to either finish or fail. The thing is that I like the fact that you do different things, different sports, different activities as an entrepreneur, and we're going to get on to athletes as well. But it seems like to have a rounded life, you kind of put yourself in, not dangerous, not the right word, but you put yourself in discomfort in different areas. Yeah. <laughs> is that? Yeah, it's funny. I was, um, uh, again, right when we moved up to Colorado. Uh, so after I'd done the cyclocross thing and I buy, I buy a mountain bike and I'm out, on a ride and it was like a long ride. We were doing, um, it was like a, we had kind of budgeted like four or five hours for this ride. And the, one of the guys that I was riding with was a buddy of mine that had moved up a couple of years before me in Phoenix. And he's asking me like some questions about mountain bike. And I go, you know, this is, um, this is the first time I've ever ridden a mountain bike. <laughs> I just bought this bike from a buddy, another buddy of ours. And he's a guy who kind of got me into triathlons early on in the early days of athletes. And he, he like, I don't remember exactly, but he's like, man, I love that about you that you will just, cause he knew what I was in for that day. Like he knew he was sort of the ringleader of the ride. He goes, I love that you just like get on a bike and go do this. You know, there was no, Hey, I'll do it next year. Let me build up to it or whatever. And it was kind of a miserable day, but I had a great time. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know if it's boredom or whatever. I think that's like, um, I love doing the hard thing, you know, whether it's like I, I screwed up one time at work royally. I lost a bunch of data for this other person that I was doing a project for early on in my career. And my boss at the time was like, well, it's, you know, I'll go tell her. I'm like, no way. So I walked across campus and went and sat down in this woman's office and said, hey, I screwed up. This is what happened. I lost all these survey results, you know, totally my fault. And so, and as miserable as it was telling her that I felt so good that I did it, that I, I sort of carried that water, you know, and I did the hard thing when the easy thing was presented to me. So yeah, I just, I like doing the hard thing. Um, and again, maybe it just goes back to that. Like life is too easy generally. So you sort of have to dig deep sometimes. Yeah, and I I like the fact that you you face up to it, and because that's what life is, really, isn't it? And sometimes I guess the anticipated fear is actually not as bad as the actual reality. That's that's definitely true. Yeah. And we spoke in a little bit about athletes, and for those that don't know, so they should know, it's the the world's largest results database. Yeah. I'm sure you've been asked loads of questions about athletes, but is there a question that you wish that people would ask you? about the business that you've not been asked before? Oh, that's a good question. Huh. Um, huh. I don't know. That's a good, good question. Um, you know, I think having gone through what we've been, so Athlinks was acquired five years ago uh, by Lifetime Fitness, and we also own ChronoTrack, which is uh, in Europe. A lot of your listeners will, will know ChronoTrack, but probably be more, uh, familiar with race result or uh, my laps as timing equipment companies go, um, perhaps IPCO. 
But we, so we've been part of them. And I originally started Athlinks as a tool for athletes to make athletes' lives easier. So our, our motto at Athlinks is more people racing more often, having more fun in the process. We have 348 million race results we've aggregated over the years to make sure that, you know, when you run a race, we want to make sure that, you know, your entire race history is there for you to claim and to be able to relive and, and to provide you some tools for comparison and those types of things. And so we've been part of this other bigger company for the last several years um, where it's, it's been a little bit more about the timer and their race director near and dear to my heart, but really the athlete at the end of the day is, is central to my, um, to my love and my, you know, who I really want to be supporting. And so the, you know, the goal here uh, coming out of COVID, we've had some, a lot of time to reflect in the last year about what we want to do with the business, how we want to reshape it. The podcast was certainly part of that, of reconnecting with our audience um, and really just building tools to make, you know, athletes' lives fun again and, and, and like provide some tools that, that don't otherwise exist. Again, being able to compare yourself. So like we have a, a tool on the site called Rivals where we can show you everyone you've ever raced against and your win-loss record and all that kind of stuff. And so we want to take the, those, those things, which are really just kind of like germs of an idea and really blow them out and give athletes really great tooling about finding other athletes and finding other events that they can connect with and, and, you know, shared experiences and similar abilities and that type of thing. So it's really sort of focusing on, on the athlete experience, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And really the, you know, so like in the last, I would say four or five years, since we've been part of ChronoTrack, we've done some great things like live results are in the platform and map tracking and all these things, but athlete experience, you said it perfectly, the athlete experience as defined by the race director or as defined by the timer is really the world we've been in the last four or five years versus the optimal athlete experience as defined by the athlete, which is where we want to get back to. And it's slightly different. There's a, there is a difference in there. And, you know, like the athlete, the athlete cares less about the sponsor or cares less about, you know, the, the message that the race director is trying to deliver in that moment that's great. That's secondary, but primary is maybe how they're going to share that experience with their loved ones and things like that. So, um, it's just really kind of turning it, you know, certainly not blowing up the model, but just turning it slightly to a different angle so we can see things from their perspective a little bit better. And I guess in terms of looking at things on the other side, I mean, that's a, a good thing to talk about because on one hand with what's happened with COVID, I mean, it's not great, obviously for health, you know, people passed away, people lost their jobs, whatnot. And this COVID world is going to be here for a long time. Yeah. I think even post this year, just think just globally. And whilst no one's got a crystal ball of like what, you know, races will look like, what opportunities do you think have come out of this current time that we can sort of take forward uh, and maybe improve future yeah. trail, road races and that experience moving forward? Yeah, I think if you if you think about like big races, big marathons and and things like that, if you work downward from the call it the big marathon down to let's say the big ultra race, which is, you know, dirt and a big ultra race might be 1000 people instead of 70,000 people. I think I think big road races are are going to have a lot more work to do to try to figure out how to, you know, incorporate the social distancing and the masking and hydration is a big thing. 
we're seeing over here in the United States um, just this past weekend, where basically what ended up happening was all the athletes were responsible for their own water. Uh, this was like a, I think it was a half marathon, 10 K five K race. So the athletes, you know, you have to wear hydration belt or vest or whatever, however you, or just don't carry water. Um, and then you wear a mask, the, you know, for the duration of the event and stuff. Um, and then they, the athletes are going off in waves. And so rather than, you know, 500 people starting all together, you might break those down into groups of 20 run, you know, starting every 30 seconds or minute or things like that. So I think you're going to just see a lot of that type of kind of small tweaking and things like that. Things like the, you know, the world marathon majors, you know, the big six, um, you know, Miami, even races like Peachtree in the States or Bloomsday, where you have these 50,000 person, 10 Ks and eight Ks, you know, it's going to be really, really difficult. Boulder, Boulder, here is a 10 K in, in Boulder, Colorado, where they, they have sort of mastered the wave. So it's a 10,000 meter race. I think they're at 60,000 people now. And the race takes basically all day. So it's on a, um, I always forget if it's Labor Day or Memorial Day. I, I always mix up the two in my head, but it's, so it's on a Monday holiday. And then, you know, the racing goes off over several hours where they just release, you know, wave after wave after wave after wave and stuff. So I think it's going to be a lot of that. And then I think you're going to see just more and more people, which was already the trend, more and more people going off road. So whether that's mountain biking, trail running, that type of thing, um, where you can incorporate distancing a little bit more naturally without, um, you know, because I mean, it's part of the beauty of running a marathon is, is being in that, you know, like in that pack, in that group of people, like you don't, you don't want to be too distanced, you know, so. Uh, but people run trails for very specific reasons. And that last point really hit home when you said about running in that pack. And that's something I do miss, especially say you've got like, you know, whatever time you're going with, you you know, you've got your, your, your paces and your group and you're all kind of generally talking to each other and keeping each other motivated. When I did my last marathon, you know, obviously we're actively discouraged to run in packs and you're just running it mostly by yourself. Or you see people every so often, but you're, Obviously, you're mindful not to be too too close together. Yeah, and like you said, it's such a a different experience. It's quite surreal, to be honest. And I had to train to do it, especially. I mean, not I had to train. I mean, everyone had to train because obviously you couldn't run other people. So yeah, even training in the race itself was quite different because obviously people couldn't run with their running buddies or yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it goes back to one of our first um, things that we were talking about on this show was like that sprint finish that you know testing yourself against another person, you know, down the finish chute or whatever. Like that's, that's a part of racing that I love. I, I absolutely love sprint finishes or catching the person that's, you know, a hundred yards in front of me or, you know, holding off the person that I can feel breathing down my neck. And, and, and that goes away. You know, I mean, at this point, I think, you know, people are going to take what they can get. And, um, you know, we'll just have to figure out like how to fight to get back to where things were, um, as an industry. Yeah, we are, we are super contracted, you know, smaller teams of, of, of people in each company that are supporting the space. Um, you know, we, we survived last year, but I don't know that we could survive another year. Uh, luckily, you know, Athlinks is owned by a big company, big uh, lifetime fitness here in the United States. So, I mean, we'll, we will certainly survive, but we are a smaller team. We're working, you know, our roadmap shrunk, all of those types of things, because we just couldn't, 
we couldn't support a full payroll if all of a sudden 100% of our revenue or 90% of our revenue went away. And so that's what I fear is, is that, well, fear is not the right word because ultimately it's kind of like water. You know, it's like water has a way of finding the cracks and the holes and the, and the places. And so, you know, as, as somebody goes down, somebody will pop up and somebody will come up with a great new idea or a different race venue or, you know, way of racing, um, you know, that, that sort of finds the, the, you know, the place in the zeitgeist and gets people excited about racing. I, I interviewed a guy, um, Dave Pryor from Unpaved, which is a big gravel race in, in Pennsylvania. And normally it's a fully timed 120, I think, mile gravel race. And this year, this past year, what they did was they turned it into enduro um, scoring rules. So basically they took this 120 mile race, they kept it 120 miles, but they only timed three segments of the race. And what that allowed for was this, what they called regroup racing, where the field could sort of spread out, maintain their distance. They could regroup at these timing areas, hammer, get timed in these small, like five, 10 mile segments, and then sp spread out again. And, and the reason they did that was like, so that nobody was flooding the, uh, the nutrition tents and things like that. And so you know, I don't know. I, I think that there's, there's ways that we can come back safely. Um, and then there's, you know, there's, um, there's sort of the health of the industry versus the health of the activity, I guess, you know, and as long as the health of the activity remains strong, the industry will come back to it. Like, you know, uh, unfortunately, some businesses are going to go out of business, some races you're, you're never going to hear from again. But the cool thing about a race is, it's not a physical product. If a race has to take the year off because they had to take the year off, they could come back again. You know, it's a date and it's a name and it's an idea. And so it's, it's sort of impossible to kill as long as there's somebody there willing to revive it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a definitely a challenging time because you look at say like the London marathon and they're pivoting by doing a lot of the virtual stuff as well with the physical stuff, the numbers that they're talking about. But then you hear reports about, say, the New York City Marathon and, you know, the amount of stuff that they've had to cut. And you're thinking, yeah. that's tough. And, I mean, I love the New York City Marathon and uh, you kind of want those races to stay. But, you know, it takes time, takes money. You know, if, it's, if they're not, can't do the races, then it's quite hard for these things to, to sort of stay in a, like, fixed position. Yeah. And then we sort of bring it back. Yeah, I think I, I I think it's probably lost on most people the amount of human capital that goes into putting on a race, especially a race like New York. So being being part of Chrono Track, there are I think forty splits. One uh, well, there's so there's forty four splits I think on New York course. So there's every kilometer plus the um, the half marathon, uh, yeah, whatever it is. There's like forty four splits. Well, the majority of those are actually manned by other chrono track timers who just come into New York for the weekend to just time that segment. So the, the irony there is like you have some of the best timers in the United States who just are, they're just sitting there at like, you know, mile 18, um, uh, you know, just like manning that one split. Well, you know, those are, 
those are highly proficient, skilled, professional timers. And then you have the entire staff of the New York Roadrunners. And, you know, I mean, there's, there are hundreds of paid people who, that it, that it takes to put that race on plus thousands and thousands of volunteers. So, you know, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's heartbreaking. I mean, I've, you know, we've, we have said goodbye to a lot of very good friends this year from a, from a professional standpoint, because they've, they've been put out of work and, and had to go elsewhere. So it's, it's tough. But again, I think, you know, as long as the activity stays strong and the desire to run, which there's no killing the human spirit there, like people will continue to run. The industry yeah. will, the industry will find its way back. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's what we're working towards. And like you said, with one of the ways that you're pivoting is by doing the podcast as well and creating value that way. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about that and the guests that you've had, obviously excluding myself. <laughs> so we've spoke about that enough. Yeah. It's, you know, it's been funny because like we, what were we, we talked about, you know, like doing a hundred mile or, or whatever it is, is you just, you have to start. Right. And so we had been thinking or talking about doing a podcast for a long time, but because we just end up getting so busy with race season, it was just never the right time to start. And it wasn't like, oh, it's too tough to start or where do we start or what ideas do we flow? It's that, gee boy, once we start, like, can we finish kind of thing? It was just like, I think we were a little bit nervous that, you know, with, with a full race calendar, trying to start that up at the same time. And so COVID allowed us to take a lot of, time to take big steps back on Athlinks, refactor a bunch of the platform. We rebuilt a ton of the backend um, results and claiming and all that stuff. And at the same time, we started to look at some of those projects that we'd been sort of putting on the shelf or in the, you know, that bottom drawer for a long time. And so it was literally like a, you know, like a Tuesday, I think I decided, hey, let's, let's just do it. You know, I ordered a couple of mics Wednesday and recorded my first show like Friday, you know? And so like, you don't know who's going to resonate, who's going to be good, who's going to be bad. Who does the audience really want to listen to? Like we've had Olympians, we've had, um, uh, you know, the King of the FKTs, we've had all these like great, great guests. And it's, it's been really cool and interesting to see which ones resonate. And one stands out, uh, well, two stand out really that were sort of off the beaten path. One of them, he's a, he's, he happens to be a chrono track timer, but the athletes don't really know that, but he's just a guy who lives in his van and decided like to float the Mississippi river. So he just like, and this is not a guy that you would like think is this, this big adventure, you know, like he's a, he's a self-described fat guy. Like that's how he describes himself. And he just got a kayak and three, I think it was uh, uh, 111 days down the Mississippi river. And it was a great, compelling story. And we got tons of phenomenal feedback on that one. Um, another guy was Jeff Catch, who works for the Rodale Institute. Rodale sort of invented um, organic farming, the terminology and all of that stuff. And so they've been on this regenerative organic farming kick. Um, and so I had him on and like, again, just huge, phenomenal response to that one. And so all the runners, of course, and the, you know, the cyclists and all that we've had on have all been really well received, but it's fun to see where we can start to skirt outside the bounds of what I think, you know, people would normally, um, you know, the tagline of the podcast is the, the stories behind the results. And so some of these things are, these are the stories way, way behind the results in a lot of ways. So it's fun to see how that kind of unfolds. 
that's the interesting part because I think people can see things in other people that they can relate to. And I think that's what you, you kind of really want to get into. And that's what's more interesting than the yeah. stuff that you sort of see at the end of the finish line. Yeah. Well, you've got a great story, but, but at the end of the day, you were, you were really, really good at telling your story. You know, like it wouldn't have mattered how compelling your story was if you had just been this, you know, sort of bump on a log. And a lot of people just can't tell their own story very well. And so really that's what a lot of it comes down to is finding people with not only good stories, but who can tell it and articulate it and keep the flow um, going and, and things like that. So, um, you know, that's always a challenge, but I'd, I'd be curious to see, have you, have you had to throw out any episodes where you just, it just didn't work without naming names? <laughs> only through this one I did, but it was the sound wasn't mm. so great. But yeah. for me, it's more, I'm probably about 70 plus episodes in, but I've found that I'm learning to, I think when you become a podcast, you, you have to become a better listener. 100%. And some of my earlier ones when I'm speaking to athletes, I mean, there's people that you need to just kind of really try to understand where they're coming from. Some people are very pragmatic, very to the point, aren't kind of big storytellers, but when they speak, that carries weight. And you have to kind of know how to kind of, work within that and try and find some common ground yeah and if it becomes too much of a q a then it, st it sounds quite stilted so yeah some of the ones you might listen to in the beginning you think oh i wish i would have done this or i would have done that but yeah. that's i don't really blame the guests i just sort of think okay well i've learned something about that person and how to communicate with this person a little bit better so yeah yeah and f thankfully none that i've had to throw out just because they, they were just terrible interviews but one I had to chuck out because the sound just, yeah. the internet just went and <laughs> I had to record yeah. it again, unfortunately. Yeah, I had one where the, we ended up airing it, but the audio is not very good. And I, I kind of wish we would have done that. I wish we would have just thrown it out and re-recorded. So, um, yeah. you know, but, it, you know, you live and learn. And it was one of the first episodes. So we were just like, eh, I don't know, let's, let's just try it all. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I've got so much I could go down there, but I'm, I'm, I just want to pivot to, one of my final questions before I kind of wrap this up. Yeah. As we spoke about in your podcast, I'm one of the co-founders of a group called Black Trail Runners. And one of the things that we're trying to do is to shine a spotlight and increase diversity within that space. So from the outside looking in, imagine if you were part of our committee, what steps would you take to try to look at increasing participation, representation within sort of, you know, trail running for black runners or BIPOC runners or yeah. people that felt that space wasn't for them? Yeah. So my experience there, that's a great question. And, and uh, it, I got to be honest, like I always get a little bit nervous, you know. It was funny when I listened back to our podcast when you were on, I had forgotten you and I were talking about the black trail runners sort of off air beforehand. And yeah. it felt... It's a little jarring when you're talking about your marathon experience and then all of a sudden I just asked you sort of out of the blue, well, how does that feel as a black man? And it was like, you know, it was like anybody listening had had missed the context of where that conversation came from in terms of you being yeah. the founder of Black Trail Runners and all that. So it was kind of funny um, in that regard. But, you know, I think for me, it's just like what we talked about when you were on. It's got to be this. It has to be grassroots, on the ground, people talking face to face. There's so much room for misinterpretation or 
um, like, uh, I don't know if pandering is the right word or whatever, but it's got to be authentic and it has to be, I think, in conversation. And so, and I think you were talking about this specifically was really the way to break this down is to, you know, find, like, I think it's got to go in both directions, but certainly, um, if I'm a running group, if I'm, if I'm putting on a running group, I don't think it's enough to just hope that, um, like more, uh, BIPOC or, you know, whatever the, the terminology you want to use for it is, I don't think it's enough to just hope you all show up. I think we have to think about, you know, how do we, how do we go where you live, where you're running, where you are, you know, and, and invite you in specifically invite you in and not just one time and go like, Oh, well we invited those guys like a year ago. I don't know why they, you know, that group never showed up or that club never showed up, but just, you know, making it a regular thing and, and really growing the diversity because like running is such a perfect place to have those types of conversations, you know, like you and I out on a run, getting into some deep stuff um, is a great like it's it's one of the only times and places that we'll ever have a time outside of a podcast, frankly, where we can just sit there and have an hour-long conversation about what you're going through, what I'm going through, how our perceptions match and diverge and all of those things. So I, I would say it's just, you know, again, if I were starting a running club, that's what I would that's what I would do is just is just get down on the ground and just go find go find those, those diverse groups around me and, and just, you know, with a, with a bell on it, just, you know, send an invitation in. Yeah. I think it's making a conscious effort to think, okay, like we said, to how can we make the groups more diverse? How can we make an effort to make people feel welcome? Like not just a one-time thing. And I think, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And something, <laughs> I, I know this is a very serious point, but this made me laugh in my head because you talked about, you know, sharing, and I think many people could experience it as well. Like when you're trail running, I think a lot of people probably overshared the trail running conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know what it is about it. Yeah. Well, you know, one of my, one of my good running buddies, he, he and I are on the, the polar opposite sides of the spectrum politically. But because we have these conversations when we're running, like we can, we have these things where we both sort of like, because you're so vulnerable when you're running up a mountain or whatever, like you just feel terrible or whatever. You're so vulnerable. And especially yeah. like, I love you say something out loud and you realize how stupid you sound saying it. And so you sort of like laugh at yourself and we both do it to one another. And, and it's like, yeah, look, I get it. I, this is dogma speaking. This isn't rationality or whatever, you know, cause the reality is, is, most people are politically center, you know, they're not that far out. And so I think the same thing exists on whether it's race or gender or sexuality or whatever is most of us are just in the middle and we just all want to really get along and just learn from each other and, and have these difficult conversations in a really open and inviting way. Um, and it's really like, if you sort of shut out the media around us, who I think like, it just always feels like the reality is like you and I talking, but anytime you have these conversations, it does feel like you're sort of walking blind through a room with a bunch of mouse traps, and there's yeah. people just waiting for you to say the wrong thing. Oh, I can't believe you called it this or that. And it's like, you know, and, and as we talked about before, it's like you, 
if you want to be part of these conversations, you have to go into it with a certain amount of grace. You have to allow the other person to make mistakes and to say stupid things. And it's not everybody's fault. Some people, you know, there's a lot of black people who have never grown up around any white people and vice versa. And we just don't even know where the other side is coming from. And that's okay. Like, that's why you have the conversations. That's what you want to start to spark of having these very civil, very open, very um, um, curious conversations. So that you're not like the second you start barking at me that I said something wrong or whatever, you know, then I start getting nervous and now I'm stammering and now it's like I'm hiding something and it's like we all, you know, it's just gone. You know, we're just, we're just running into walls. Yeah. I think no one's really got the perfect answer to that. No. To, to be honest. I think it's, it's, it's a long, I mean, it's been going on for, for, for time and even with this sort of version of Black Lives Matter, I kind of feel it's not for me to be like, okay, dear white people, this is my experience of being a black person mm. because that's not the other side. But I think like no one really knows. There are no rules of how you have this conversation, but yeah. it's better to have the conversation than not have the conversation. And we just all kind of carry on that things are as they are. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough, it's a really tough thing because it's, it's kind of like in, in um, theoretical physics where you can't by observing something, you affect it, you know? Yeah. And so there's this, there's this kind of part of you that looks at this thing and says, like, is there a way for us to not, um, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm driving into a dead end here. I'm not articulating it well, but like, but by, by pulling the covers back, we obviously exposed an open wound in the last, you know, year. But the reality is that wound has been there for hundreds of years, if not thousands or whatever, which is all to me just so damn silly. Like I just don't understand. I don't understand racism. You know, I, I grew up in a very sort of uh, a racial home. Like we didn't, we didn't talk about it, but that was okay. It wasn't because we were hiding something. It was just like, I would have never thought anything like if my kitchen was filled with, you know, uh, five black people and six Mexican people and 12 Chinese people, it wouldn't have met like, oh, there are just, you know, whatever, 18 people in my kitchen. Like I wouldn't have walked in and thought like, what are, you know, why are those people here or anything? And so when, when, as I get older and, and I realize like how much racially charged things there are out there, I don't know. It's like, it's disheartening in a lot of ways because it's, it's like, it doesn't, it, it doesn't, in my opinion, it just doesn't have to be difficult. These conversations shouldn't be this difficult to have in a rational way. And these problems shouldn't be difficult to solve. Yeah. Because sometimes you think about it, it's like, you can look at it from a fixed position. Like I am this person, you're that person. So this is the way it is. But like, it goes back to the other part of the conversation that, you know, knowledge isn't always, you know, or being fixed or certain isn't always the right uh, decision to take. Like, for example, a peanut, even though it's got a nut in it, it's not actually a nut. Mm. It's a legume, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, but people don't know that. So it's like, you could go to these sort of conversations, like, I'm definitely certain, because yeah. this is what it is, but then someone would be like, actually, it's not. That's a, yeah, it's, that's a good point. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't know. I would say half the world's problems right now, they're just not hard to figure out. And we just too, we're too polarized. Like we're, and again, I like, 
if you're listening to this, turn off your damn news. Like, stop watching the news. The news makes money off of all of us being at each other's throats. And so if, if, if people spent the hour that they are watching the news, or the reality is it's probably, if you include Twitter and the news and the 10 other ways that they get news, let's say it's two, three hours a day. If they spent that time going out and doing what you and I just talked about, being a little bit more grassroots about it, go, go into um, you know, a situation that you're not entirely comfortable, introduce yourself and just have these conversations, we'll solve the problem. But we're not going to solve the problem watching the news. We just aren't. It's never going to happen that way. Take the power back from the media and, and just start solving these problems in your local community. And you will, you know, these problems can be solved. Yeah, start from where you are. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great point. And I feel like I could go further into this, but I'm mindful of time and I kind of want to wrap this up. So there can always be a part two. Like, it does feel like a part two. It feels like the, the worst time to sort of wrap it up because I think it's getting really interesting. So, but it's, just, it's great to have these conversations because it helps yeah. me as well. And I think it's just so helpful to talk about these things. What is one non negotiable behavior, habit, or even superstition that you do daily? God, you know, it's not a, it's not a, um, it's not a healthy behavior, unfortunately, but it's, it's work. I work like too hard and too much. Like I, I think I put, I think I have always put too much of a value. And this is one thing that I have definitely looked at in the last year with, with, um, sort of this, uh, reprioritizing of life and things like that. And I think that it has always been a positive, this work ethic, like, oh, look, you know, kind of going back to that whole like arrogance um, of youth in the beginning. I've always looked at my work ethic as, a, as nothing but positive, but I've definitely realized that um, my work ethic is, has as much liability as it is uh, as a positive in, in my life. So I don't know if that really answers your question. I don't know if that's a non-negotiable sort of uh, thing, but I would, I would say I've recognized in myself that, uh, I, uh, you know, uh, work ethic and like you just giving, giving time to others is definitely the, the thing that I need to be better at. So I, I know no, I but, didn't answer your question, but I answered a different question. <laughs> Sorry about no, that. No, you did. So, but, you know, no, I love that, the, that answer because sometimes the answers can be quite positive, but this is more of a, a reflection on, and I really like that. And it kind of reminds me of an answer, I guess, gave me in a previous episode where he was saying like sometimes life you can be go 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 and then you forget that actually that the life that you aspire to that you wanted is actually happening but you're so focused on the next thing 100 percent. this is what you've said there 100 percent. yeah it's you you spend all of your all of your time aspiring to something and then you don't realize that you have you have achieved a lot you know have you have things that you've wanted and um you're not enjoying them and and luckily i enjoy quite a few of those things that i've that i've earned in my life and certainly my family's at the top of that list but i could always do better i could always always do way way better yeah absolutely i think all of us can myself included yeah yeah troy it's been a real pleasure talking to you where can people follow your journey online 
so Instagram is probably the best place for me personally. So it's at Troy Busso. That's T-R-O-Y-B-U-S-O-T. Um, certainly the Athlinks journey is a huge part of my life. So at Athlinks um, and then Athlinks.com. If you've ever run a race or, uh, you know, uh, ridden a race or swam a race or whatever, likely we have the vast majority of your race results. So go over there, create a free profile, claim your results. and um, and watch us as we all come back to racing and uh, start connecting with the other athletes there. So yeah, that's the that's the skinny. It's been awesome, man. I, I'm so I'm so happy that uh, that we were able to have a part two of our conversation because I felt like when you were on the athlete side, it is like right as we started getting into some good conversation, we were hitting that timer. So I think we have to have a part three. We have to have like the the rubber match there where we then uh, we'll, we'll, I don't know if we'll, we'll, let's do a live and we'll go to both of our uh, respective um, listenerships. I'm conflicted as, as to whether that part three should be a podcast or it should be a trail run. Well, it's definitely <laughs> a trail run for sure. I've got these little road uh, lavalier mics. We can just mic up and go running. I don't know if anybody wants to hear either of us breathing into a mic for an hour, but we could always do a run. We'll come back. We'll have some good food. We'll have a nice meal, and then we'll sit yeah. down and we'll we'll chat about it. You never know. There was a movie years ago. There's a f- footballer called Zinedine Zidane, and, and they they did a, a film of him, just of him in the game, just for the whole ninety minutes, uh. moving through the game. So, if if you breathe artfully enough, I guess people may yeah. may want to listen to it. There's a, there's a podcast out of out of uh, Great Britain where it's two guys. They're like two comedians, and they they run the whole time. I tried listening yeah, to it. I couldn't do it. I just I like I, I'm a whatever that synesthesia or whatever it is. The sound of people eating or breathing or anything drives me crazy. So I can't do it. It was like nope, I yeah. can't. Nope. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word. I probably just said something wrong. Oh, there, there, oh, there is a name for that word actually. I I sort of put something out on my stories recently. And, about you know the sound of like people yeah loud eating or slurping drinks there is actually a term for that yeah. well what is that whole thing on youtube now the um the uh um oh god i'm drawing a blank where it's like you speak directly into the mic and it's like this very it's it's like uh three initials it's um i don't know i'm drawing a blank i'm old but um yeah i just i can't do it i can't the sound of people eating near me or breathing, it just like, uh, it just gives me the heebie-jeebies. I have the same. <laughs> I <get> the same. <laughs> oh, good stuff. I'm just so a cranky old man coming. at this point. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> oh, think, man. Yeah, so many people relate. Oh, it's been awesome. I, I really do appreciate you having me on. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Runner's Life. If you found value in this episode, and you want to support the show, please share with your community, post on your social media channels, and encourage them to listen and subscribe. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash a runner's life. If you want to get updates on the podcast, or you want to see what I'm up to, you can follow me on Instagram at a runner's life underscore podcast and at the marathon markers. Your time is valuable, so thank you for spending your time listening to this episode of a Runner's Life podcast.